This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 150 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice. And for what feels like the first time in forever, I am joined live in person by the smiling faces of Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. I'm not smiling. Please, no, please don't know. put that on. No. <laughs> you know, uh, Bridget, can you recite the recording? Three, two, one. <laughs> okay. Welcome to episode 150 of the Skate Podcast. No, but it's been a long time. Uh, so for me, you guys see each other all the time. Um, but I needed a nice six-month break from you guys just to keep my sanity. Um but now I'm, I'm I'm good for the craziness now, so let's go. We're just happy you returned from Florida unscathed. Yeah, um, we were worried. <laughs> I, I know there was some um, there was some concerns, there was some worries about uh, you know was I was I attacked by a pack of hyenas? No, I wasn't attacked. Like I knew them, we were friends. <laughs> um, I told them to quiet down. I told them I was doing a podcast, and they were fine for the first half, and then they just got a little rambunctious back there playing two hand touch, but. Yeah, I'm back. I'm okay. Um, I watched uh, watched the Winter Classic from the Sunshine State, which was interesting considering how awesome the scenery looked in here in Boston. It didn't even look that cold. It looked like it was like 50 it degrees. It was, yeah. So I picked a bad week to go away. It was really nice in Boston. It, it was. It was, what, 58 degrees the day that we skated at Fenway? It was ridiculous. And then for the actual game, it was like 48, 50 degrees at puck drop. So Yeah, and walking around, it was like, bunch of people just you know in regular jerseys no winter coats you had you know people actually able to clap they're not covered up in five layers of gloves like at at gillette oh my god i was so cold at the one at gillette i'll never forget how cold i was i'm still scarred from it i mean patriot places they do a great job there for like pre-game and post-game activities and stuff but you can't top Fenway, uh, you know. Like oh my the, God, like Lansdowne, I can was, only imagine how how we it was we showed pre-game. up at like nine a.m. and there was people. Just, it was like already packed out the door. Every yeah. bar, like the like cask, like uh, every bar in that area was already completely packed. People were already mobbed the streets. Time on market was packed for the Gresham Hart broadcast, the WEI uh, Classic broadcast, and it mm-hmm. looked great on TV too. Like it was completely full. Um, all the angles, like. 
obviously Scott and I were there, so we didn't get to see it on TV originally, but to see all the different angles of different things and some stuff that we missed because, you know, we weren't watching the broadcast. Um, it was just crazy. It kind of, and I saw that the ratings were very, very good. And at one point in time, it was the top trending subject on Twitter, like during the game. What was the yeah. highest rated regular season game in how long? It was the hi- highest rated ever on cable. Wow. So, you know, so take out the ones that were NBC exclusives, but highest ever, you know, beat anything that was ever on NBC Sports or, you know, I guess, I guess that includes even going back to ESPN. So. Yeah, I mean, and also, it's great for the Bruins to get their day in Boston, right? Like, they've obviously been a phenomenal story all year, but in in the, in in Boston, obviously, the Patriots take up a lot of you know uh, headlines and limelight, and we get that. But it was nice for for one day for all eyes to be on the Bruins locally, for sure. Yeah, it was, and you know, hopefully, more eyes now shift to the Bruins. Obviously, Patriots season. Ending Sunday, no no playoffs for them, another under 500 season. So, you know, that shift now where, you know, I feel like every year there's always these shifts that kind of occur where it's like, all right, when Bruins and Celtics playoff runs in and then more people start paying attention to the Red Sox. When Patriots season ends, more people start paying attention to the Bruins and Celtics. And, you know, I, I think the Bruins already had more people's attention just because of how awesome their start has been. But hopefully it's more now. You know, I know... It's going to be a busy Patriots offseason. There's going to be lots of stuff happening there, but people want to watch games, and now you know, hopefully uh, more people start tuning in for Bruins. They don't don't have to stay up late, uh, at least not for you know another month or so till they go back out west. Uh, we're yeah, about that was to, kind of brutal. Those we're about to recap stuff. this West Coast trip, which uh, turned out to be pretty remarkable for the Bruins. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because on the broadcast and on on – social media wherever you hear about people talking about the Bruins it's the they talk about the the California sweep and and how great it was for them for them to do that and the California sweep isn't what it used to be right like it used to be a gauntlet like the Sharks Ducks and Kings for like a five six seven year stretch they were all top of the Western Conference um and it was it was a real gauntlet so the Ducks and the Sharks are you know they're rebuilding obviously but considering the fact that the Bruins had the high of the Winter Classic and all that encompassed with it, to turn around and travel on the road, that presented its own challenges, even though the teams themselves, except for the Kings, aren't the greatest uh, competition. There were other challenges this year to make up for what used to be the gauntlet of, of Southern California and San Jose as well, and Northern California. But uh, great, what a great road trip for the Bruins. They outscored them 16-5, to those three teams, right? So there's a lot to break down. Yeah, it, it was insane. And they wrap it up you know, with a back-to-back and beat the Ducks 7-1. to And, yeah, the, the Ducks are horrible, like, no question about <laughs> it. They're they're the worst team in the NHL. Um, but still, just, like, how dominant the Bruins looked and how, you know, they didn't let up at, on back-to-back. Um, the win over the Kings to start, the, I know we talked about it last podcast, but, like, that was an impressive win. Um, you know, the Kings were a team that came to the Garden and, beat the Bruins in a shootout uh, just a few weeks earlier. And Bruins take care of business there, you know, get a 4-2 win over the Sharks, and then just totally dominate the Ducks. Parsonak, seven goals in three games on this road trip. Um, adds an assist for good measure. Just all around, just what like whatever they did worked. You know, you start the road trip with the perfection line reunited, and they're scoring just like old times. 
Montgomery decides to change it up for the Anaheim game, just kind of mix things up a little, reunites the check line, and they go out and score four goals uh, to, you know, at, at even strength, they score four goals, two from Pasenak, one from Krejci, and then they help set up the Hampus Lindholm goal too, which, you know, good for him and his return to Anaheim for the first time since the trade. Um, Bruins fans, great job mm. uh, showing out. Uh, all three games are clearly a lot of Bruins fans, but it was like Anaheim, it was a home yeah, game. Anaheim in particular, like that was a home game. It yeah. was. Uh, you saw the Pasternak hat trick, and the like. You just look along the boards, and the boards are just moving because. Fans were all Bruins fans along the glass, just banging the wall. And you know it's pretty much a home game when you're at a Bruins Anaheim Ducks game, and the chant is uh, "Yankees suck." <laughs> so you're, it's clearly not anything anyone in Anaheim gives a crap about. So it's essentially just been a complete takeover. You could just feel that it was, and for the Hattrick, Hattrick coming on the ice like it was the Garden too. So yeah, they they definitely had the time change, like the time difference that. But it was almost home ice um, in Anaheim yeah. for sure. And you mentioned Lindholm getting a goal. He got he got it kind of late, but um, they did do that tribute to him in the first period. I think the first media timeout or the second media timeout, they came out of it, and um, they were they were tributing him because he'd been there for what like eight years or something. He'd been yeah. there a long time and was a a favorite for them. And then we we got to see Vakaninen who mm-hmm. was part of that trade when the Bruins traded for Lindholm at the last deadline and just kind of, like, brings it back back up, like, what the Bruins gave away but what the Bruins got. Like, I think it was a fair return for the Bruins to have to give up Bakkenine in a first and two seconds. I think right now, for the way that they have this team put together, um, when you're going all in, <laughs> yeah. they did what they had to do. And it, it for both teams, that trade... Is going to end up working out because the Ducks are in such a rebuild, though, that that's what they needed was the picks. Well, it depends on what they do with the picks, obviously. But, yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, like if they get anything that's half of Lindholm, like. Yeah, because Lindholm was the number six pick in his draft. Yeah, like I'd, I don't think the Ducks are going to ultimately love that trade, but Lindholm was going to be a free agent. They're going to lose him anyways. So you at least, you know, Vakanainen is what he is. He's not. You know, he certainly doesn't have the potential that he once did. And, like, what he's their sixth defenseman right now. I kind of think that might be a ceiling. I guess we'll see. Um, you know, but you get you get the picks. You, you take some stabs. Like, that's what they need, obviously. They just need as many dart throws as possible. So, yeah, in, I, in that sense, like, yeah, they'll take it. And, you know, at least it's something that might pay off, whereas they're probably going to lose Lindholm for nothing. So, um, you know, that part's good for them, but... They're, they're not the chances of them drafting someone and getting someone out of this that's anywhere close to Lindholm's level is very well, slim. Think about where that first round draft pick would be. You're, you're getting a draft pick from the number one team. Like, it's not like the year that the Bruins had the first round draft pick for the Kessel trade and they got to pick number two and they had they got to draft Tyler Sagan. Like, it's not that kind of a first round draft pick when they're when all is said and done. Um, but yeah, so. You can see that that's like a full rebuild team, like the very beginning of a rebuild. You have like some good young players, but it's just not a cohesive team. It's like some guys can set up scoring chances and Zegers had a goal, but like you're watching like individual efforts and not really a team effort. If if that's like a better way to look at what kind of a team Anaheim is right now. 
Yeah. Just so just to keep track of it, the Anaheim drafted Nathan Gaucher with that pick that um would have been the Bruins this past summer, so I don't know. Any if anyone wants to track Nathan Gaucher's career, there you go. <laughs> Find my iPhone on him. Um so we'll we'll get to the Ducks game. I guess we'll we'll just go kind of in chronological order. Uh, so let's go back to the Sharks game first because we talked about after the Kings game that uh, it took the non-trip call on Brad Marchand to kind of make those wires cross a little bit, and he was he 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 kind of just was a different player for the rest of that game, uh, and then in a good way, and then he he kicks off the game in San Jose with. Uh, no doubt about it, his best goal of the year, vintage Martian. Not that every goal he scores is end to end, but just vintage in the sense that that's what he's capable of doing. And look, I don't think you're gonna watch any. I don't think the Sharks' defense had any good uh, YouTube tips on how to play uh, <laughs> a one-on-one rush there. Um, but Martian, his, his deceptiveness will do that to a player, right? And and he just goes out an individual effort. Um, Great way to start the game, and again, just another example, the latest example of him really starting to find his form. Yeah, it was kind of funny after that game. Like he was asked about, it, and he was like, "Yeah, you don't get those chances too often. Like usually, the defender, you know, blocks off the inside. You have to stay wide." He was like, "Kind of opened up and gave me the inside, so I just took it." And it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's basically what happened." He is, likes yeah. to throw a little subtle shade whenever he can. So yeah, he does. that's what that's exactly what that was. And then he had one of the easiest goals of the season in the Anaheim game where. Puck yep. comes out to him and Gibson's completely out of the net. It was just a mm-hmm. free wide open net. So yeah, that Gibson looked so helpless. Like it was almost sad. Like there there was a time when John Gibson was an elite goalie, and it, it's been a while since he was. And it, it's one of those things where it's like how much. How much of that is just that he's been playing behind such a bad defensive team yeah. for so many well, years now? Well, even think now. about, like, Olmark. Olmark's numbers were not great when he was with Buffalo because he was playing for Buffalo. And now, like, obviously Buffalo's doing better this year. Still not great, but better. Yeah. But the team that he had in front of him in Buffalo was making him look bad. And, yeah, you kind of get hopeless. What's their record? Well, they have how many points? I got to look Who, it Buff- up. Like, Anaheim no, or Buffalo? Anaheim. Oh boy, I think I think they're like twenty four points or something. I think they still only have four regulation wins, like forty one yeah. games. I think they've played forty one games now, so they're halfway through the season yeah. and they have four regulation I, wins. I I might be a few points off, but after the, after last with the current yeah, standings, 12, I think the Bruins are forty four or forty eight points clear of the last place team in the league, and I I think Anaheim might be that team or just ahead of it. They're eleven points clear of the second place. Team I know, in the league. I know, I, I know, insane. I know. It's crazy. I know. It's ins- it's insane. It's it's. But look, looking at uh, the the Ducks stats, like I just said, they're minus seventy three. So like, yeah, they, but they've only it could scored, only go up from there. They've only scored ninety six goals this season, and every team, every other team is besides the Blackhawks is over a hundred. So yes, so you have you have the Bruins at plus sixty eight now after last night, yeah. and the Ducks at minus seventy three. Like. Can't can't get a bigger gap than that. I think it was the, were the Blackhawks were they the their last right their last place the Blackhawks are. Yeah, they only have yeah. ten wins and the Ducks have twelve. Whew, sheesh, there's gonna be some interesting deadline moves in a month in a couple of months with some players on those teams. Yeah, because those those teams are still sellers, right? We saw yeah. them be sellers at the last year's trade yeah. deadline, and that's how the Bruins get Lindholm. And yeah. um, 
who knows what's I mean, going to happen with the Blackhawks and yeah. the way they decide to sell off. I mean, this even year. Uh, even a guy like Eric Carlson, who we just saw, he's going to end up somewhere else. You would think, right? So yeah, you know, it, it's 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 one of those things where you look at the NHL landscape right now, and the Bruins are not even just points wise, but uh, they're just far and away the best team in the league when it comes to roster depth and and performances from everybody. But what we can't predict is. Like, we look at the Eastern Conference right now, and you look at Carolina as they stand with the addition of Max Pacioretty finally on the team from offseason surgery or whatever it was. But, like, Carolina could give the Bruins a hard time in the playoffs if they were to meet. Um, Toronto, like, they got to prove it, but they're capable of giving anybody a tough time. Obviously, Tampa deserves respect. But right now, as the league stands, it's tough to really see, all right, who's going to really push the Bruins, who haven't lost twice in a row all year, uh, to beat them four out of seven times. But as the deadline comes and goes, we'll see what teams add, and, and that will change things. Um, but, yeah, so Carlson's one guy we watch. We don't I'm know gonna, where he goes. I've, I'm going to ask you guys a question that just got planted in my mind. Uh, just before we start recording by Bradford Understudy Coop, Ask me, what percent chance do you give the Bruins to win the Stanley Cup right now? I'm curious what you guys' answer would be. Well, I would say I give the Bruins a. Hmm. That's question, impossible. Scott. That's an impossible question because, like, there's so many odds involved, too. Like, what are the Vegas odds right now? They're, I, know. I know they're definitely I'll, favorites. I'll you, they're I'll, favorites, I'll, but. I'll give, the Bru- I'll give the Bruins a. I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll give them a 20% chance to win the cup. So I, I told Coop. 40%, but the more I think about it, I think it should be lower. I think That's I'm going so like, high. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would love that, <laughs> but you know, it's a tough grind. And you never yeah, know. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna lower it to like 30%. Like, I, yeah. I'll meet you in the middle. I'll I, go there. I really like their chances. I think they are like pretty clear favorites. Yeah. But yeah, obviously, like, you can't go too high just because there's so much randomness in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, like, one injury can, can throw you off, or just a bad series or a bad couple games. Yeah. Run into a hot goalie. Like, so you know it's not also like if you if you have a really tough first round matchup and like you you hit the hardest team for whatever reason in the first round like you're which they don't have a chance to play no they shouldn't that's the that's that's the luxury they've had and and not to interrupt you scott but that's the luxury that's the biggest luxury they've had with first place in the atlantic you avoid that tampa toronto first round match but like what you could see though is you know okay what if they end up with the rangers or islanders in the first round and all of a sudden, an Igor Shostakovich or Ilya Sorokin gets hot, which like, I think both have... of those both of those goalies are very much capable of doing. Yeah, and and if you have an injury in goal yourself, like there's too many variables. Well, fortunately, the Bruins have that depth in that where they have so, the other guy too. But yeah, I mean, well, thanks for the question, Cooper. But like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, I, I, I'm look. I'll put it this way, Scott. My confidence in the Bruins is what you said, like forty percent, like. That's how when the Bruins touch the ice, it's like you just know how much better they are than everybody else. But we've seen it in the past, and, and look, I don't, I don't look at the twenty uh, nineteen Lightning. I don't look at the twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two Panthers and say like, well, it happened to them, it happened to the Bruins. I mean, yeah, it could, but they're much. The Bruins have a much. The Bruins are, have a much, much different makeup than that Florida team last year. They're closer to what that Tampa team was a few years ago as far as character and stuff, but they're not that Florida team. They won't let that happen. And Florida did win a round last year, to be fair to them. But, um, 
yeah, the sky's the limit for the Bruins. So we we just you just don't know what the future holds. Yeah, and, and even that Tampa team had now like they had their older core guys who had been to conference finals or a cup final before, but they had some younger guys on that team that really hadn't been there yet. Certainly hadn't been favorites, like hadn't been on a great team. And I think some of those guys were the ones who kind of weren't quite ready that year. Now, obviously they still shouldn't have gotten swept. Like that was still just a crazy fluke result. But even that, I think like this Bruins team is different because it's like pretty much everyone has playoff experience and has been there, has been on deep runs, even even a guy like Lindholm who comes over, okay, they didn't go deep last year, but he's been to two Western Conference finals. Like he's been there. He knows he knows what it takes. So they've all, you know, now Taylor Hall hasn't, you know, he got the second round his first year in Boston. He hasn't really made a deep run, but I think his maturity in general that we see like will benefit him. So like even though, you know, Taylor Hall hasn't gone to a conference finals or a cup final, I think I think he understands what it takes. You know, like, I don't think there's going to be any, there's not going to be anything that happens in the playoffs where he's unprepared for. Like he's, he's been around long enough. He has the right attitude. I think he, he's been a sponge around guys like Bergeron and Marchand and, you know, understands that now. Um, and so much of the rest of the core has, has been on a deep run before McAvoy, Pasternak, Grizzlick, um, DeBrusque, like, they're around 2019. So it's, you know, really the only part of the team where you look at and say, okay, these guys haven't gone on a deep run is goalie. Yeah. Because all Mark and Swayman haven't. And that's where if you have them both going well, hopefully that benefits you where even, you know, obviously all Mark is on an unbelievable half season heater at this point where it's like, you keep thinking he's going to have to cool down at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, you know, maybe, in the playoffs, he hits a tough stretch. Well, if you have swimming going well, then you still should feel pretty good about that. Like it, it seems, at least as, th- as things stand now, it would seem unlikely that both goalies are are off at the same time. Yeah, and and I I want to just like bring some stats into it. So the Bruins. Well, look at Bridget being the one to bring <laughs> well, stats. Well, it's not advanced stats. Me, it's, just, it's not advanced stats. Okay. It's just like to use some logic to put some <laughs> some stats into the logic. Like they have an eighty five percent points percentage. Yeah. They haven't lost back-to-back games the whole season. In order to lose in a playoff series, you usually lose back-to-back games. Like you there's mm-hmm. not four losses coming in a, a short amount of time for them at any point during the season. So like in order for that to happen to them, like we haven't seen it yet. So um and and they've scored the second most goals per like they're almost averaging four goals per game like usually a team that can put up four goals in the playoffs is winning that game um you know with especially when you have a goalie behind you that's not going to let in four goals per game so if you just kind of like use that logic you can see how it makes a lot of sense that people are predicting them to make such a deep run and why it seems like a really difficult task for any team to come up against them and and be able to pull off like putting up five goals somehow like on the Bruins or pulling off wins on multiple like multiple games in a row over a team that hasn't lost multiple games in a row yet this season the the only thing about that because that's exactly right and that's why we feel so confident but we as spectators know like and and certainly as players and coaches they know it the only problem is that when you get to the postseason there's a lot of intangibles that don't present themselves in the regular season. 
And and that's why the playoffs are, are an unknown. And some intangibles would be, okay, other teams feeling like throw the regular season out the window, it's a fresh start for certain players, certain teams. Everybody's back to square one. Um, the higher seeds, like the Bruins this year, are going to feel an immense amount of pressure. And maybe they won't. Maybe their professionalism and their leadership won't allow that to creep into their room. But from the outside looking in, there's a ton of pressure on this team to to perform. That will creep into the locker room. And then you have you know, momentum swings and coaches strategizing throughout the course of a series. In the regular season, it's 82 games, and you're bouncing around like a, you know, like you're getting stamps at the food court. But you know, in the in the postseason, you're seeing the same opponent seven times, and you know possibly two weeks and they're shutting your guys your top guys down and it's just a different game it really is it tightens up but yes they are they are the favorite going in for a reason when we get to that point and that's why the expectations are sky high but things yeah. do change well, though and remember last playoffs like they had a hard time with Carolina because they couldn't get the matchups they wanted like offensively and they couldn't open up certain guys to like actually get things going like you're you're looking for Pasternak to get going and you're looking for like Bergeron and Marshawn to get going and I just feel like they have so many more options for rotating them around the lineup this time as well so if you see like them go against a Carolina again or something like that like okay they're able to match up against the check line will switch back to the perfection line or, or yeah. vice versa or just either the options are there. They've had time to see how it looked um, throughout the season and they have that extra option now with Zaka to use a check line, which they didn't have last season. Yeah. And just, you know, again, like Taylor Hall on the third line is something that's going to present any team with problems. And even if Eric like, Halla isn't your second line center anymore. Yeah. It's, <laughs> they're so much deeper and, you know, Krejci's return was obviously a big part of that, but uh, Zaka, the way he's been able to fit in anywhere, DeBrusque having the best season of his career, obviously before injury, but um, Trent Frederick breaking out, like all of that makes him so much deeper. Felino having a bounce back season. It's, it's at, like, yeah, they just from like a names, names on paper perspective, there weren't a ton of changes in the off season, but Overall, like it looks apples and oranges, really. And they were missing a few defensemen at different points in that series too. Yeah. Like Lindholm had suffered an a upper body injury. I think it was a concussion. Yeah, it was. Um, McAvoy missed a game with COVID or an illness or whatever that yeah. they were very, very weird situation. Yeah, I think Grizzly might have missed a game or something in that series. Grizzly missed, I think, the last three. Yeah, so they had those guys down and we haven't seen that happen yet this year but that's yeah. obviously still something that could yeah. could happen I mean yeah like they had to your point like McAvoy and Lindholm missed a simultaneous game together in the playoffs and like like yeah that could still happen and they actually won that game yeah they did <laughs> they did because that's when you know Cliffy Hockey became a Norris Cal when, whenever he has to step up he steps up but you guys, it's it's very very true what you're saying it's very evident the depth in this team not only not only depth lines one through four, it's the different combinations that Bridget mentioned that you can go with. It's, it's yeah, it's your 12 forwards that you have and, you know, 13th or 14th if you need them, but it's a different combination you can you can create. This team, they're, they're, they're very, very good. I mean, uh, that's the most obvious thing I've probably said all year. We're only, <laughs> you know, it's nine days in, but it's it, the the emergence of Frederick, like Scott mentioned, Nick, Nick Felino. By all intents and purposes, was not on this team last year on the ice. He, he you've added like you've you've added back a very very strong player in him. The depth, the character. Uh, I mean, Coyle and 
coil on Taylor Hall on your third line is just it's stupid. And Scott, you mentioned like Taylor Hall, how he hasn't won in his career, but like you know, he does have some playoff experience. But the thing is, you're not relying on Taylor Hall. Like yeah. he, he's he, he's one he, he's just one of 20, 21, 22. The only guy on this Bruins team that they're gonna rely on heavily, even with the depth. That they're gonna rely on heavily to continue what they're doing in the regular season, uh, in the post is what they're doing in the regular season is, is Pasternak. Like you need you need him to still be him. The other guys can pick each other up along the way, but you're gonna need your best player to be your best player. Um, and he's just going off right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and that's and the crazy thing there is, you know, yeah, I think teams will certainly try to key on Pasternak. Obviously, you can't like overload too much, or you're going to open up too much else uh, for other talented players. But even like the different ways now that the Bruins can get Pasternak going or get him looks, you can put him back up with Bergeron and Martian. You can have him with Krejci and Zaka or Krejci and Hall. You can double shift them, which double shift them, which they've done recently, including um, Friday night against San Jose when they went with the eleven forward seven D lineup. Um, you know, a few guys double shifted during that game, but Pasternak was the one I noticed the most. But he's he's just been elite in every possible way. So, like I tweeted this last night, it, there's a almost perfect symmetry to his offensive stats this season. He's Tied for fourth in the in the NHL and even strength goals, he's tied for fourth in the in the NHL and even strength points. He's tied for fourth in power play goals, and he's tied for fourth in power play points. Like whether it's now this road trip, it was scoring seven goals in three games, one assist on the season. Really, before this road trip, it was a pretty even split. Like he's been setting guys up just as much as he's finishing himself. Teams take away that one time on the power play. Okay, he's taking a few steps towards the middle of the ice now and holding an extra second and then snapping shots past goaltenders. Like, I just think he's, you can see, obviously his game has, especially his offensive game has been elite for a while, but this year in particular, I think you just see him attacking in different ways and taking whatever the defense gives him. And if the best thing for him to do is to rip that one-timer, he's going to do that. If that's taken away and he has to take a step inside or back or whatever, He'll do that if the best thing to do is pass across to Marshand or whoever instead set up Krejci in front. Like he'll do that. He's just he's taking what's there, and you can t- you know yeah he's scoring a ton of goals. He's currently second, just one behind Connor McDavid, but he's not forcing it. Like he's oh. not. It's not like he's just teeing off. You know, no matter where he is, launching shots at the net. He's he's making a lot of very smart plays yeah you put him with smart hockey players and he'll play like a smart hockey player like you you play him with Bergeron and Marshawn who are so good at what they do and you play him with Krejci who's like got great vision then you're gonna see him pick up from those people and play like he plays the way he does this season and he has in the past as well because he's around Bergeron and Krejci who 
run those lines a certain way. And Montgomery now with a system that's not like high volume or high quality. So you're able to move things around more, get better looks. The setup that he had on the Krejci goal was is, is an easy play, but a smart play. Krejci was mm. by himself out in front. He saw him. He was behind the net, slid it right out there quick um, before anyone could cover him, and it was in the back of the net. So, um, yeah, he does what he has to do, and he's not a selfish player, so he's not, like, teeing him off because he thinks he's the only one on that line that can score or, you know, his ego isn't such that he's just like, ah, it's me and the puck's on my stick and I'm going to shoot yeah. it. Um, and he's never been like that, so no. it, it's just nice to, to see the way they complement each other when he's on that first line or when he's on the second line. Yeah, and, and, and to Scott's point, like... Um, and, and to yours, Bridget, you mentioned how he learns from those around him, especially those who have been there and done that. Additionally, to, to Scott's point, yes, he, he, he does what you said, Bridget, but he's also simply just capable of seeing the game in ways that those guys can't and ways that nobody else can. Like, you know, you're talking about a guy who, uh, as you guys mentioned, is on the verge of being you know, the top goal scorer in the league, and that'll be a nice little selling point for uh, J.P. Barry, I'm sure, at some point. <laughs> but you watch the way Scott said... Um, I'm trying to remember how, how, how he worded it, but he just... Uh, what did you say? He reads the play, or he, he knows he knows where to go? or I forget exactly what you said. He t- Oh, no, you said he, he takes what's there. He takes what's there, and like an example of that is... Um, like Instead of on the power play, just sitting at the circle... Another a couple of things he also does. Instead, Scott mentioned he he goes to the middle to to create that shooting lane. He's also just not staying at the top of the left circle. He's also going down to the left post, so that defenders have to like look for him. And then when they look to the post, or if they can find him, then he goes back, or he'll go to a strong side. Like he's just, it's that movement without the puck that makes him so special. And yeah, some guys are capable. Like you see Bergeron do it in the bumper, but he's more like a, you know, box doing it. Pashnak is using the entire offensive zone on, on the power play, and he does it five on five too. Um, so it's it's remarkable what he's doing, um, and he scores and he can score in so many different ways. He showed that in Anaheim. Um, so yeah, the, the price tag is going up on him as we speak, and you know we'll see how that plays out down the line. We talked about that at nauseum, but we, I think we're at the point now where we just really can't really we can't really talk about it anymore because there's nothing to say until something breaks, you know? Yeah. So. One thing I want to bring up on since we're on Pasternak is just the crazy pace he's on right now. Um, so I, I wrote about this uh, for WI Monday morning, and he's he's been hovering right around a sixty goal pace all season. Now this recent hot stretch has gotten him, you know, a little buffer room above that. He's on pace now for sixty six goals and one hundred nineteen points, um, which will be. If he like gets there, or you know, somewhere within that range, will be historic for the Bruins franchise. Only one Bruin has ever scored sixteen a season. Phil Esposito. He did it four times in a five-year span, um, from seventy to seventy-five. But you know, Cam Neely had the fifty and in, in well, fifty goals in forty-four games, and ultimately ended up being fifteen forty-nine. Uh, the year that he was sitting a bunch of games, resting his knee. So obviously that would have been a sixty goal season had he played the whole year, um, but other than that, like it's that's the company you're in, and even you know, one hundred nineteen points or even if he you know ends up around one hundred ten, no one's topped one hundred ten for the Bruins since Adam Oates in ninety three ninety four. Like really, Marchand when Marchand topped a hundred, 
a few years ago. What, was that 2018, 19? Mm-hmm. He was the first since Thornton. Thornton had done it once with the Bruins. And before that, it was Oates. Like, it's, wow. it's crazy. And, you know, obviously, offense is going up around the NHL. So it's, you know, yes, is more scoring. But nonetheless, like, just historic pace, it's going to be better than his Rocket Richard season, I think, quite easily. Um, and, you know, and it was interesting. Like, I was reflecting on that season when he, he would have had 50 goals if not for COVID hitting. He ended up with 48. And I remember him saying that, you know, he was more – he was more upset that he was missing out on a chance for 100 points. Yeah, uh, He cared more about the total points with the assists included than just the goals. And he ended up with 95 points with 12 games chopped off because of COVID. Um, but yeah, he takes he takes just as much pride, if not more, in like the playmaking part of his game than, than the goal scoring. I, I remember talking to him about that earlier this season. I was just trying to look up the stretch. There was a stretch where he went like, three weeks without a power play goal, but he had like five or six power play assists in there. And I asked him about like, you know, being more of a setup guy in the power play recently. And he said, you know, that's the part that he feels comes natural to him. Like he, he always felt like he was more of a playmaker than a goal scorer. And it wasn't really until he got to the NHL that he started to develop the finishing more. And it's like, that's, that's such a scary thought if you're an opponent, because everyone knows how he can finish but it's like, okay, even if you're going to take that away, he's – I think, you know, if he really wants to be, like, he can be one of the best playmakers in the league. He could, you know, not McDavid level of, like no. – I think he's on pace for, like, 100 assists, but, you know. <laughs> um, but he could be, like – he can and is, like, one of the best playmakers in the league, too. I mean, it's just – it's incredible. The guy the guy is so fun to watch. It's why if he were to ever go away from Boston, it would be gut-wrenching. But can't I don't happen. Think they will. cannot. It, can't let it happen. You would think they can't, but we, you, we've been surprised before. I mean, it would be. You're right. They, it can't happen. But they have to offer him whatever, whatever number it is. Except, but, the, yeah. But at at the same time, like my my dad asked me the other day. He's like, "Well, is it is it pasta?" It's like, "Well, it could be because you know you're you're not going to be as good next year." It's well known you're not going to unless Bergeron and Krejci both want to come back on another really low like million dollar contract. Well, you're not going to have a number 1 and 2 center that are going to put you in the same position as you were this year. What? Well, I'm definitely not ruling out Bergeron coming back next season no, by I, the way. No, he's playing like, great. Yeah. Krejci has a little bit of a drop off since the season yeah. before he took a break and went and played in the Czech Republic. But, like, if they win, it's almost like, what do you do? If they win the Stanley Cup, do you go off on top? Or do you go, if we can do this again, like, let's let's go for it. And that's the thing. Like, if, if you're Bergeron and, you know, even if they win it this year, it's like, yeah, they're going to lose some pieces. They can't keep everyone. But if he comes back, like, they should still have another really good team next year. And I know, you know, we're getting way ahead of ourselves now, but like... But you almost wonder if Pasternak's waiting to find that out before he makes his choice. Yeah, or... I don't know. I feel like it can still get done. I think there's... I, I think they were legitimately a part on, on the salary. And, you know, there was a the smoke that one weekend with Keefe's report and... Uh, at Bruins Network, who who we had on the podcast last year, said he had like heard something about some movement or you know the two sides kind of 
getting closer and or progress being made. Like it seems like something happened and and by the way, Keith stood by his report on his show like within the last week. Um, you know, said he still thinks that it is going to happen and that he trusts his source on that. So I don't know. I, I feel like they're gonna get it done and I don't necessarily think he has to wait to see what Bergeron does or what Krejci does or if they trade for a center. Like I think he's I think it's gonna get done eventually. Um but there might just still be some uh Eyes to dot and T's to cross. This is my this is this is my concern, and I, and I think I think he'll be signed. But it's 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 well documented that ownership does not want the Bruins to. It, it's unrealistic to expect this of a team, but they ownership essentially never wants the Bruins to ever rebuild. So they always want a competitive team, and they always want playoff gate. And that's why the Bruins management is so adamant about trying to create a culture where everybody takes just a little smidge less to remain competitive. And if they have to pay Pasternak like he's the top goal scorer in the world, which he very well could be at season's end, then they might, in theory, might not be willing to go there because then you you won't be able to keep the rest of the roster as competitive as like ownership wants. So it could be ownership. And your whole entire team isn't as competitive. Well, as yeah, <laughs> I, I know that. But like it's ownership clearly is willing to spend money to the cap. Right. But it's about where's that money being allocated that ownership cares about. Like they don't want they don't want the Bruins to have a pay somebody way too much. Not that it would be paying passion way too much to pay him what he's worth. I'm just saying I'm talking about ownership. So. That's the only way I could see the team not signing them because because it would ruin their culture of having a, a well allocated books and paying a guy top dollar. They've never really done that for somebody, right? Like they've never given a guy the most of his position. And Pashnak would probably be the highest paid right wing. Maybe is there somebody else I'm missing? Like Drysaddle or someone? Or um, I'd have to look at the list, but yeah, I think if if he gets a Panarin, I think, is above that. I mean, left wing, but, you know, same idea. Yeah, or a winger, yeah. I think. Panarin's at, what, like 11 and a half or 12, so he's probably still setting the market. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think if you can get him at 11, which I, I feel like seems like the right number, maybe it ends up being a little over that, that's going to be, you know, really close top dollar for a couple years, but... I feel like in three or four years, especially if the cap actually goes up in a meaningful way, not just a million a year, that's going to look like a pretty good bargain. And you're going to have to you're going to have to figure it out for next season when you potentially have you know the overage, the bonus overages from Bergeron and Krejci too. Like it's not going to be easy. You're going to be right up against and have to make some tough calls over the next year or two. But eventually, like down the road, I don't think eleven million a year for Pasternak is gonna, you know, really hurt you in terms of building a team. Like you still should be able to build yeah. around that. That's that's pretty reasonable. And and you already have McAvoy in a reasonable deal at nine and a half, which I know that was a lot more than they'd ever paid a player. Yeah. But again, like that's what it is now. Like if you're gonna have a number one defenseman, that's what you're paying them. If you're if you're gonna have an elite scorer. It's it's over ten million a year, so yeah. that's you know that's what you have to do, and you hope 
you know, if, especially if you're a fan, like you hope there's going to be a number one center that you're you're paying, you know, pretty good money to at some point coming up here in the next couple of years as well. But, um, you know, I, I think you can still build a good team if you have two, maybe three guys on high salaries like that. It's, it's once you get to like four that it starts to become really hard to build depth. Well, 11, 11 is not the number that concerns me. I think they'll find common ground there. For me, it's like if 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 Barry is if JP Barry is adamant on making sure Pasenak is north of twelve a year, that's where I could, there's going to be some trouble. And like, you know, and 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 if you get to that point, like twelve or twelve five, it's like that's where you start to be. You as a fan, you just pay him, pay him whatever, pay him whatever. And I w- I would still say that. But that's where you would actually have to be like, all right, well, I do understand a little bit of trepidation on management's perspective to put a, a respectable team. Because, again, ownership doesn't want to rebuild. So there's pressure there to stay competitive. Now, to Bridges' point, how do you possibly stay competitive <laughs> if you let Pasternak go and you have Bergeron on? Like, they have to pay him. I know. I'm just trying to look at this from all angles um, as to why maybe it hasn't gotten done. Or hopefully this doesn't happen, but it doesn't get done. Well, but, when you when you think about this week, it's like, Another thing Cooper asked me when when he saw me once again shout out baseball isn't boring and Bradford show podcast. Um, but he asked me he was like, "Oh, what you talking about on the podcast?" And I was like, the "Bruins are good." And he's like, "That's it." So it's like we we always end up coming back to the Pasternak talk because it's like that one thing looming in the background over all these like great things that we've talked about and and like it becomes repetitive, right? It's like okay, well they're winning still. They still haven't signed Pasternak, but this is just like the life of a Bruins fan right now. It's like still thinking about it. People are still coming up to me asking me about it, talking about, you know, oh, they got to sign Pasternak. Like, and uh, it's just, it's it's a, been like Groundhog's Day some some points this season where it's just been like, okay, well, Pasternak's playing great. Pay the man. Like, Bruins goalie tandem looks good. Like all marks the best goalie in the league. Like right. all these players are on pace for their best seasons ever. And it's like, it hasn't changed. Yeah. It's like, it's at latest, like the second thing that comes up in any Bruins conversation you have, like even just thinking about like talking to a family, like during the holidays and stuff. And it's like, it's like, wow, it must be a blast covering this Bruins team. It's like, yeah. And then it's like, are they going to get pasta knocked on? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it, it, it's immediately the next thing that comes up. So, yeah, obviously it's on, like, everyone's mind. And by the way, like, if you just want to entertain yourself, look at the replies to, like, any Bruins tweet about pasta knock because it's, like, a hundred pay him comments oh, yeah. and memes. Like, pay the man his money, yeah. pay him his dues, which, like, we, you know, you understand. It's, it's, you can't, this player cannot leave this team, especially for nothing, which goes back to a conversation we had last year. But I will backtrack on that because I'm, no matter what, I am not letting him go at the trade deadline this year. I'm taking uh, that. Whatever <laughs> last year we talked about that, and I was like, I was like, I don't care if the Bruins have a chance to win the cup. Like, if you can't let this player go for nothing, um, freezing cold takes, Brian, <laughs> please. Well, it's 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 annoying. It's just annoying to me that like they get they put themselves in this position because like you're talking about if he stays in Boston, he will be one day the greatest goal scorer to ever play for this franchise, which is 100 years old next year. And if you let that guy go for nothing, it's just a, it's like it's just annoying because if you can't have him, you should be able to restock and, and use him, utilize him to, to, to keep getting better for the future. So it's an annoying situation that they're putting themselves that in. Like I stand by that. would be like the first time that anything like that had ever happened, though. Like, can you even think of another time where, like, the best, like, one of the top five players in the league – 
on a team that was a Stanley Cup contender got traded at at the deadline because they their contract was coming up. Like I I honestly can't think of a single other time that that has happened. I'm trying to that now that's a good question. I know. I'm trying to think like if any teams made a blockbuster cuz like it could even it could have even been a trade where they like a hockey trade where someone gets, you know, another impact player back. Uh, I can't think of anything from like I'll, I'll I'll talk about my lifetime. So <laughs> 90s and on, I can't really think of anything that was a trade deadline huge swap of players like that. Um I can't. Maybe and maybe back in the day, I don't know. Bruins traded away Blake Wheeler in a couple years. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? Though? I mean, he was actually a he really was. highly touted player. He ended like, up being yeah, he ended not, up being obviously a really not good comparable to this, no, but No, 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 of course not. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, if, 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 if the Bruins lose Pashnak this off season for nothing, whatever. And they didn't <laughs> win the Stanley cup. <laughs> well, either way, I mean, I mean, they better win the Stanley cup, but if they, if they don't, it's like, whatever, uh, not my problem, but they shouldn't have let it got to that point. I mean, right, like, even as we speak right now, like what's the hold up? Just get it done. Like you, he, you, he's not going to not be a top five scorer this year. Like, you know what his end result is going to be this year. Like he's going to stay at a similar and pace. And there's no hesitation to give him the full term either. Just look ahead with the agent. Say, look, JP, yes, Don. Let's say he's going to be a top five scorer this year. What are we doing here? Like, it's not going to gonna be no surprises three months from now where this kid finishes in the scoring race. I was also just thinking, because Bridget, I thought this was where you were going, but I was trying to think of have the Bruins ever lost an elite player like in I guess Thornton Joe Thornton Thornton would be the only comparable trading him in his prime because even like like Sagan and Hamilton weren't in their primes yet Kessel wasn't really in his prime yet Um, you know and Thornton that was they felt like he wasn't the guy to build the franchise around so like that was different I, I think they feel like Pasternak is that kind of guy. Like I don't think there's any hesitation there. So even that part of it would be like almost unprecedented to you know lose a guy in his prime, not by your choice. Like you know to just have him leave because you didn't weren't able to sign him. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the more we talk about this, like, there's no way that they do not sign him. They're from so many different angles, on ice, off ice, marketability, like just it would be character assassination of the Bruins to let him go, and and there would be, you know, torches and pitchforks outside TD Garden. I just want to say two names: Tom Brady, Xander Bogarts. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, uh, guys, let's just remember why this is such a touchy yeah, subject. That, that is. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I definitely understand, like, why Boston fans are yeah. kind of, you know, feeling nervous about it, obviously. 
maybe, maybe locking up Devers helps ease that a little bit. Like that, because yeah. that was that was like the other superstar right now, where you're like, oh my god, are the Red Sox going to lose him too? Or you know, oh, and you weren't here, Brian, because Scott and I were making a joke that like that the reporter that Keith had came out right before the Winter Classic, and I was like, what if they announce it on the Winter Classic at Fenway? It just it's like a big middle finger to the Red Sox, <laughs> like you couldn't sign Xander Bogarts and you didn't sign Devers yet, but then then the Red Sox beat him uh, to it and signed Devers mm-hmm. right after that, but. Yeah, be, all because John Henry got booed. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the way I read it. But yeah, I mean, uh, the 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 eleven, the eleven, uh, eleven for eight years did you know it, it? It would be a swaggy, passion act type move, right? Yeah, it's eight eight eighty eight. Yeah. Like it's. But you know, it's like the old yeah. like how Sidney Crosby had to have eighty seven for everything. Yeah. Like, I think his well, salary yeah, is eight point seven million a year. His birthday is August seventh, eighty seven. Yeah. I will say, also, I don't think J.P. Barry probably wants Pashnak to get the moon. I I think Pashnak is willing to. I don't think he's gonna make the Bruins bend over. I think he'll he'll get what he's worth, but I don't think he's gonna screw him. Like yeah. I, I think he's willing to take a. If you want to call it a discount, fine. But like I I think I think Pashnak knows that especially if he ends the year as the top goal scorer in the league at 27 years old next year, like he knows he could probably get more from somebody else but i think but you're he also will getting one less. less year and you want to have yeah. that like at you're coming to a point in your career at that point where you're out of your prime and you don't have anything guaranteed necessarily at that point in time yeah it adds a little bit of extra security in that way even if the deal would still money wise be probably right around the same thing if they were or it would, it would be a smaller deal because it's a year less so yeah i think you know possibly even said on the record that like being the highest paid isn't his goal or anything. He said, told that to Fluto. I think it was when they were out in Vegas. Fluto was on that trip and talked to him. And, you know, he they were talking about, like, um, the crazy salaries in baseball because that was just when free agency was starting. And he was like, Pasternak basically like, yeah, it's insane, like, how different it is from mm. hockey. And then Fluto asked him, you know, like, do you want to be the highest paid player? Like, try to set the market type thing. And he was like, no, that's not really that important to me. So, yeah, to, like, he wants fair. I remember when he signed that this current deal six years ago, he had a very, like, this is way more money than I ever dreamed of getting, period. Like, what do I need to sit there and haggle for another million over? Um, I think he's in a different place now where he recognizes, like, Okay, I've been a steal for a few years at this salary. Like, I at least want to get, you know, around market value. You, you know, I don't, like, I'm not going to hurt other players by taking $8 million a year um, because, you know, that kind of sets back yeah. all of us as players. Yeah. So you want to push it a little and get your fair market value. But, you know, to your point, like, J.P. Barry, you know, it's it's a notch in his belt when he gets those deals up over twelve million, but I don't think that's what's the most important to Pasternak and that's what matters most. Yeah, and I don't think I don't get the impression that like JP Barry's the type of agent that like will force guys to try to take more than you know, like hold out for more. Like you hear that sometimes with Scott Boris in baseball where it's like he almost like pressures his clients to like wait out for more. I don't really know. Like, J.P. Barry is kind of hockey's super agent or, like, the closest thing they have to it. But I don't really think he's like that. Like, I think if Posnick says, 
listen, I'm happy with the eight by eleven. Let's let's get it done. Figure out the structure and all that. Like, I don't think JP Barry is gonna be like, no, no, hold on, let's wait till June and like revisit. Like, I, I don't yeah. think that's gonna happen. By the way, I'm just looking because I had to double check like the top paid players this season, and there is a Bruin that is the highest paid player former Bruin uh Tyler Sagan is getting 13 million dollars this year yeah and that is fucking terrible in actual cash not cap hit but yeah yes cash he's getting 13 million dollars and he's no good anymore he's he's not he's he's good he's He's just okay look at the rest of the league of the of the players that are right there he's getting more than Connor McDavid yeah well I mean yeah yeah that's it's a weird deal because like it's just how that deal was structured, where there was a lot of cash coming in towards the end, um, which I think was done to like kind of off, sort of what I was just talking about to like sort of offset. You know, okay, you're gonna be one of the highest paid players now, but four years from now, it might look like a bargain. Like, I think Sagan's deal was structured so that the actual cash would kind of offset that, where it's like. The idea was you might look like a bargain, but cash-wise, you're going to be getting more money at that point. Oh, yeah, that's it's just crazy yeah. for Tyler Sagan. Uh, you know, also with Pashnak's current six-year deal that he's on, like, at the time when he signed that, um, had he even had a 30-goal season yet? So it was, and if he, he might have he, he Was that after his first, first one? Was that after, was that after the uh, 16-17 season? If it is, I think that was his first 30-goal year. But... Even if it was, it was at a time yeah. where, like, it was so at... that was just before the start of the 2017-18. Okay. And he had 34 goals, 70 points. Okay. So, and, okay. So that's enough to go off of one year for the, if you're the Bruins to be like, yeah, like, we're comfortable with this. Right. But you do never know if it was, a, you know, if, if he ended up regressing. But, yeah, um, in any event, so we'll see how, how that plays out. I'm sh- hopefully it just breaks one day. We're not expecting it and it just makes our, our year. But until then. Well, I, so like, I have like all the, you know, alerts for Bruins and news and whatever on my phone. And anytime something starts with David Pasenak, like in a Bruins <laughs> tweet or email, yeah. I'm like, do I have to, like, if I'm in the car, I'm like, do I have to pull over? So yeah. this morning was one of them because Pasenak got the NHL's first star of the week. Oh. So I was I was driving into the office at the time that came out, and so I'm on I'm on route two like in Arlington, and uh, you know pops up on my phone. I take a quick look down, not distracted yes, driving. You had a red light, of course. Yeah, he's a you reckless know, driver. So not not crashing. Or Actually, he drove I, I me just, home from the Winter Classic, and good driver. How what was fast his rating? Boston. He's a Boston driver. Wow. <laughs> he he was whipping, and it's Scott's like one of the like least risk takers I've ever met and then he's just fucking whipping down Starro and <laughs> it's like alright here we go he is, Scott, he, he is from Baruka he's from Baruka and lives in Lowell Scott he can take care of himself <laughs> Starro I know Starro I've, I've driven enough like all those all those curves and whatever no problem yeah, just don't drive a U-Haul <laughs> yeah true um, but yes yeah, so anyway so like the notification popped up on my phone I see like you know Bruins media or whatever the emails from David Pasenak and I'm like crap what is this what is this so like I had to like kind of pull over got you know got off an exit like into like a parking lot and I was like okay no like I, I don't I don't need to start writing this or like call someone to write this story like we're good it's just yeah. first star of the week yeah I'm sh- I'm sh- yeah so we'll see what happens uh, I think we're all confident that it will um 
there was a funny or a fun storyline uh, early in that in that Anaheim game. I wanted to get you guys a takes on, which was the uh, the Trevor Zegras Trent Frederick oh, yeah. incident. Which, if you could read Zegras's lips, um, which was on the it was on the other broadcast, Bali, Bali Sports, said it. Yeah. Um, you could so I know somehow Nesson like missed Nesson, all of this. Like yeah. didn't have I love Nesson. We all they were know showing this, the refs at the time. But... <laughs> I think they're like showing them <laughs> they like talking to conference. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead, Brian, explain it. Well, so okay, so the Bruins are up what two nothing, and what happened was uh, Zegers is in his own zone. He did a breakout pass, and Frederick skated by him and you know gave him a little love shoulder tap. He didn't even finish his hit, but it was just he was gonna hit him, but he got rid of the puck. Fast forward like 10 seconds and Zegras scores. And um, and what 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 the uh, home broadcast caught, even so everybody on Twitter saw that Zegras like mouthed off to Fre- uh, Frederick and said like, like F you bitch or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or you effing, you effing bitch. But even before that, they also showed, um, so he scores the goal and he's in, and he's in the corner. What I just said was easier to read his lips, but there was also when I was like, I was like, what, I was like, what do you say there? only spent one year at BU and became a true Bostonian. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, one exactly. Year. exactly. But in, so right after he directly after he scored, you could see it took me a second to try to read his lips, but it looked like he said, um, like, uh, like, how do you like that, Freddie? Or you, you like that, Freddie, huh? Or something like that, because they probably know each other from the U.S. program or something like that. But he definitely said, how do you like that, Freddie? And then he kept skating up the ice and goes. You, you effing bitch. <laughs> um, I would love to see him try to fight Trent Frederick. Which, but, you know, it's funny because Z- I saw somebody on Twitter said, like, Zegers gives off, like, my dad's a lawyer vibe, <laughs> which is hilarious. But uh, he, he, he thought he was... Also a very BU attitude, by yeah. the way. <laughs> he thought he was going to get away with it because, like, you, you know, people talk trash all the time, except for the fact that he had to line up with him at the faceoff. So now you're just across from him at the faceoff. It's awkward. And they hadn't dropped the puck yet, and there was enough time for Brad Marchand, who is still feeling feisty after the Kings game and you know the Sharks game and he comes over and it's a whole thing but it was it was a pretty funny it was kind of harmless but basically like the Bruins didn't take too kindly to it because it's kind of like you know there's a level of respect and some codes and whatnot and um and you're you know, the worst it, team yeah like, yeah so it was, just, it, was a, it was a fun it got it, it spiced the game up a bit I wish the Ducks were better just so like all that stuff from Z- I, I love Trevor Zegers. I know like there's like old school people who hate him but, like, all that stuff would be so much more fun if they were actually winning games and relevant. And mm. it's, like, because, you know, it, like, it, it feels so pointless, like, when they're this bad. It's, like, because I do also get that side where it's, like, why are you talking trash, dude? Like, yeah. your, your team's awful. Especially the dude part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, but the good news is that, like, it was stuff like that that even though they're starting these games really late and playing till like one in the morning was still keeping us awake watching. So like there, the fact there was a little bit of added fire into some of these games that really we knew weren't going to be close games. Uh, more than likely they, they still had, you know, Frederick had a fight. Like there was a lot of like, there was some nastiness and it was, they were all entertaining games. I mean, the Bruins scored, seven times against Anaheim. It's like, okay, well, I want to keep watching because clearly they're just piling it on. Mm. So there there were reasons to watch, even though I was tired as heck and wanted to go to bed. <laughs> um, and for some reason, it was, it was worse that the 8.30 start against Anaheim was even worse for me because I had a broadcast right before, and I just... After the two 10.30 starts, I was like, I just want to go to bed, guys. But yeah. it was worth staying up for. 
and that and that, that also is kind of what makes it impressive too because like we've had the opponents weren't the toughest the kings are a good team i thought actually san jose gave them a good good effort but um oh and we didn't even mention this and we're kind of like coming to the end of our time here but swayman played two of the three games on the road and has looked really good um, yeah. We really haven't touched on goaltending. Like Allmark, usually we see road trip. Allmark gets two thirds. Swayman gets one third. This time, because of the way it played out with the Winter Classic and the back to back, we see Swayman twice. And I thought he did really well. Yeah. And the and the opponents helped that. And the opponents helped that. Like you you go on the road and and he's got to play against Anaheim and L.A. So, but still, like he was making saves that and looking more confident than he was. at in an earlier stretch of the season when we were kind of like, oh, well, his numbers aren't as good as they were. He doesn't look the same as he did at stretches of last season. And you almost feel like that fear of maybe not having him at full form is going away yeah. um, after that, after seeing how he played in that series or that road trip. Yeah, he stopped, stopped 55 of the 58 shots he faced in those two games. And looking now, his last six games, uh, 4 on 2 9.26 save percentage. Like, that's... You know, now you're you're starting to stack those games up, and it's not just okay. He's had good back-to-back games or three good games. Like now, the stretch is going back to December seventeenth. So now you're talking about, um, you know that, and that came that game December seventeenth was when he had been benched for over a week after the game in Arizona, and you know, so you're talking about you know three weeks now where he's been really solid, and they've. They've just been straight alternating starts. And Montgomery was asked, like, you know, do you anticipate Elmar getting a couple starts in a row at some point? And I think this was – it was before one of these West Coast games. Um, And he said both goalies are playing well. We've basically just been rotating them, and and I think we're going to continue to do that. So it kind of seems like unless they have a reason not to, they are probably just going to keep – alternating starts and it's like yeah it's tempting to just want to play Allmark because of how awesome he's been but if Allmark continues to be awesome while starting just 50% of the game instead of 70% like he was earlier earlier in the year then great then you know keep resting him up and keeping him fresh like it's this is now where you've had a great situation forwards and defensemen with depth this is now where you're starting to have a great situation with your goaltending depth where, you know, you were getting great goaltending from Allmark no matter what. But now if you're getting it from two goalies and you can keep Allmark fresher and not not even come close to overworking him, like that's just – that's such a perfect situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in you want to you want to pick a guy as you get closer to the playoffs. Like if you – the Bruins have the luxury most teams don't. So – there's no need to, as Scott, you said, overwork him right now. I, I do think as you get to like the tail end of February and March, you might want to go a little bit more like 60-40 or 70-30 just to get him revved up again for that, that load management. But right now, um, it, like you said, just keep alternating. It's there's There's no reason to overwork one or the other. Let me give you the scenario for the next five games. So the Bruins come home. They have three days in between a game the game against Anaheim and a game against Seattle um so they'll play Seattle Thursday they play Toronto Saturday um and then a third home game in a row against the Flyers on Monday but then a back-to-back on the road against the Islanders and the Rangers so those five games 
if you're trying to play the matchup and you want Olmark to go against the better teams, like you would say, okay, well, we want him against Toronto. So you got to imagine that's kind of where they start. Do you play him Seattle, Toronto, and then play Swayman Flyers? Nope. I think they stick to a strict rotation. I, I don't think I don't think they're at a point right now where they they're gonna prioritize making sure Allmark gets the tougher opponents. I think as you long as You don't think as, they're gonna want him against Toronto. I don't think they care, is my point. Hmm. I think at some point they want to get Swayman tougher games anyways. Um because he was kind of dodging them earlier in the season when Allmark was so good and Swayman had been a little inconsistent. But either way, in that back-to-back, like you're either playing the Islanders or the Rangers. Those are two yeah. teams that are decent that are both yeah. in the playoff so my, you know, We'll see, but my guess is they're just going to keep the rotation going. So Allmark gets Seattle coming back, Swayman-Toronto, Allmark-Philly, Swayman at Islanders, and Allmark at Rangers would, would be my guess. And then... Once again, we see another West Coast team right after that. Then the Bruins play the Sharks again at home, which is weird. And Brian and I were talking about this before the podcast. And actually, Scott, you were here for this, too. Um, just how many times they've played teams like West Coast teams. And, and But we still haven't seen really Toronto and Montreal. And it just feels like it's been a lot of out of conference, at the very least out of division play for them so far and it's just weird um the fact they've already played the kings twice and they're about to play san jose a second time and it's just weird yeah it's it it seems like this kind of always happens where like the obviously when you go on a west coast road trip those games get bunched up but even it seems like a lot of times like the west coast trip is followed by those same teams or a couple of those same teams coming out east like a week or two later. So they do kind of seem to bunch together. And to your point, like it's really so you get the Toronto game, then it's really not till later this month that you finally get into back to some division play. You finally see Montreal, then a, a Tampa, Florida road trip, and then another Toronto game right before uh, the All Star game. So, um, you know. It's weird because the Bruins are like so far ahead of everyone that no game at this point really feels like all that more significant. But those two Toronto games in particular, um, I'll be very interested in seeing because that's, you know, one of the teams that one of the few teams that has actually beaten them this season. Uh, Obviously, there are extenuating circumstances around that game in Toronto is right after the Mitchell Miller signing. So it was, you know, the team meeting and all that. And there was. There was plenty of distraction for them. Um, not sure that you know they were as focused on that game as as you would have liked had uh, the front office not thrown a, a monkey wrench into it. So now you get you know this game Saturday against Toronto, and then uh, like I said just before the All Star break, another trip to Toronto. Um, those two in particular, but also like you said, you know some other games against good teams. And by the way, Seattle's are a good team. They're they're yeah. in a good season. Like. I'm looking forward to seeing that because, uh, you know, there's some local connections there with Matty Beneers, Hingham native. He's their, their all-star and obviously uh, their number two overall pick from a year ago. Ryan Donato's having a good season with them, uh, Bruins legend. So. <laughs> he went to Harvard in case people forgot. Mm-hmm, um, indeed. But and, and not to look too far ahead, but pretty much all of February they're on the road playing teams that are not in their conference. Like, it's it's. The only game in um, – there's only two games in February against divisional opponents. 
Uh, it's on the road in Toronto and then against Ottawa at home later in the month. But, like, they're on the road at Dallas, Nashville, Seattle, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. Like, February is another weird schedule month where they have a bunch of time off for the All-Star break and then they're once again traveling most of the most of the month. I'm actually really looking forward to the next two and a half weeks of games. Uh, you finally have some, like you guys have mentioned, like you have some rivalry games. You got Toronto twice, Philly, you know, not that there's much of a rivalry there, but you know, historically, uh, the Rangers, Canadians, Tampa, Carolina, history there, Florida, and Capitals, you know, and Dallas is good too. So, and the Predators always with the Bruins tight. So the next two, two and a half weeks is going to be fun for the Bruins. Um, from a matchup perspective, as far as the goalies, I don't know. Uh, I, I tend to agree with Scott. They'll probably just do a rotation. They do have three days off between the Ducks game and the Seattle game, so I could see them going with Swayman against Seattle and Olmark against Toronto, but I also don't think they really care much either way. Um, I do think the Bruins want to avenge that game up in Toronto. I, I do think Toronto is very full of themselves. At least the Toronto media is. Uh, they're like no. They're like you know twelve. 11, 12 points back of the Bruins, but you would, and they haven't won a playoff series in 18 years, but if you, or almost 19. But if you listen to the Toronto media, it's it's like listening to Boston media talk about the Patriots. It's like they're it's all all Toronto. They they seldom give other teams credit for beating Toronto. It's like well, you haven't won in 20 years, so um, <laughs> or they haven't won a cup in what 60 almost. So regardless, I would like to see the. You definitely know that they're feeling themselves because they're. They're one of the only two, few teams to beat the Bruins this year in regulation. So I like to see the Bruins uh, at full strength in preparation having, without having distractions. Kind of give it to Toronto. That would be nice to see. Kind of put them back down to earth a little bit. Not that Toronto's going to catch them in the standings, we don't think, but just for some bragging rights uh, in the regular season. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. And a um, couple couple days off. It feels like a long a while till they play again. but Yeah, including two... Full days off. Second time this season they've had back-to-back days off. Uh, Not as bad as last year. Last year there were like a couple of stretches where they had five days off, right? I, I mean, so you're right in terms of games. I mean, they're completely off oh. Monday and Tuesday from practice, meetings, anything. So uh, they had a full two-day weekend earlier this year, too. So that that's definitely one of the things that Montgomery and the staff has changed is there's a lot more downtime. There's just a lot more days off in general. Usually Bruce Cassidy, so teams are required to have, you know, through collective bargaining, required to have one day off, I think it's every seven days. And Cassidy basically stuck just to that. Like, he didn't really give out too many extra days off. Um, Montgomery does. He does because he talks, like, a lot with their um, – training staff about rest and recovery and all that and optimizing performance and all kinds of stuff. He loves talking about time zones, as we know. So, uh, Oh, that's going to be a big topic this week. They're coming back from the West Coast. you got Seattle coming out. Yep. Can't wait to hear what he says, what you know, what time zone they're on and when they're going to be back to East Coast time and all that. But, well, theoretically, they'll already back, be back yeah. to East Coast time because it's three days in between. That's, a, that's One a- hour per day. Per day. That's an uh, an underrated challenge that they faced this past week too. It's like, like you're going from from Boston to L.A. and obviously then San Jose, but then you have a back to back against Anaheim. Like those quick trips out west, like your body's not on a, on a proper sleeping schedule, especially after the week that they had here back home. So like to to be ready to go at puck drop, which they were in all those games, I believe, was impressive. I always found it harder when traveling to travel back east, though. Like when you go west, like yeah. 
I've been to like Hawaii a few times, and then you come back six hours back yeah. east, and you're just yeah. you just you're waking up at two in the morning looking for breakfast. Up. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because when you, when you go west, it's like you just go to bed early that first night, and you you kind of feel like you've caught up like by the next day. Whereas, yeah, come back east, you're you're all thrown off. Like you're like, what time is it? Like my my, you know, my Hungry body feels like it should have been asleep night. hours yeah. ago. Yeah. But they have they they have three days to yeah. to come back in. And yeah. recover from they that. They deserve it. They've they've had a lot going on the last last few weeks. Do you guys have anything else to to discuss? I don't think so. Bridget, no, no, no. All right. Well, we we did the look ahead, so we covered that. I th- I guess we'll we'll uh, we'll touch base. Oh, you guys are probably going to be without me next pod because I have broadcast at Yale. So do we know when the next pod is? Probably Thir- get, get uh, after the Maybe Leafs after game Thursday. or no, Thursday. Maybe after Thursday's game. And you want to be able to do that? We'll Bridget see. will be at Yale Thursday, Friday, Saturday for some reason. Okay. All right. Well, next spin up, I guess. We'll have to send you to the ninth floor, see see the game from up above. <laughs> yeah, Brian, you take my credential. Go ahead yeah. up there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I, I, I like watching one on TV. But um, all right, cool. So if that's all you guys have, then we'll wrap it up. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you soon.